and welcome to the Cult Cinema Circle podcast. My name is Jesse, and I'll be your host. So on today's episode, we're going to be uh, celebrating and talking about a little film that is celebrating 25 years uh, this month, actually. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, a little film in 1999 called She's All That. Now, this film is... Um, like I said, uh, literally, uh, what is it, like two days ago, I think, um, it would have been when it came out back in 1999. So it was like right on Super Bowl weekend at that time, and this movie was going out in theaters. So, um, you know, go sports. But like, you know, I think this film, uh, for me, I guess my history with it, uh, I will say that this movie, uh, I think, has the unfortunate thing of being conflated with the spoof film of Not Another Teen Movie, um, which I probably saw first, honestly. Um, similar to how Scream has Scary Movie, and I think people who saw Scary Movie before they saw Scream, it doesn't really uh, have the same impact. Uh, and I think the same thing happens with Not Another Team Movie. Uh, you know, it, when you watch that first, and then you watch something, and then you go back and watch this movie, you kind of see what they've done, but... You know, I, I think for, for what this is, though, as a, a teen film, I think it's perfectly fine. Like, it's, I gave it like a three on Letterboxd. Um, it's not my favorite teen film by any means, but I do think like it is successful with what it's trying to do. Um, and also, like, it's got a, great cast, you know, like Rachel Lee Cook and, um, you know, Jodie Lynn O'Keefe playing the bitch and like, you know, uh, Freddie Prince Jr. and like Matthew Lillard's there. Like, it's a whole thing. Like, uh, it's kind of a who's who of different people, which I thought was really fun. Um, and also it, it does join the, the, um, it joins the teen movie pantheon of the the movies that were based off of literary books, which is kind of cool. Literary books. That might be a, I don't know if it's a double negative, but whatever. Redundant, but it's fine. Um, but it's based off of a play um, and uh, all that kind of stuff. We'll get into about that as well. But yeah, I just think it's perfectly fun and enjoyable and I, you don't have to think too much on it. And I do think overall it, it's a perfectly good film like i think if i watched it again i'd probably give it a higher rating honestly because it, it is something to to um to behold i think <laughs> um but yeah as we normally do on the show though we're gonna go through um some of the cast and the crew of this movie go through some of the production history uh all that kind of fun stuff that we can find out and then we'll you know break down our plot break down the characters some of the you know themes if we have any of those or any of that but without further ado let's move on to those figures so the figures i have for this film is that it was released like i said january 29th of 1999 uh so i believe that was super bowl weekend around that time um and it's a 97 minute movie uh miramax films is the one who produced and um, distributed this uh so they distributed it um so that is the weinstein's company uh the you know but so they were and you'll hear more about that that they were a part of producing this movie um and it, it has an estimated budget of about seven to ten million dollars which is not too far off with you know the teen budgets of the time so this did open at number one with 16 million uh dollars uh and then it made a domestic gross of about 63 million three hundred sixty six thousand nine hundred eighty eighty nine dollars and then it internationally grossed about 39 million eight hundred 
$1,000 for a worldwide gross of about $103,166,989. So needless to say, it did pretty well in terms of the money, which is good. Uh, And weirdly enough, it's not like they made any sequel after this. Uh, They did make a gender swapped remake of this uh, that does include like Rachel Lee Cook and also uh, Matthew Lillard in it. I will not be talking about it because I have not seen it. But um, all I've seen is like reactions to it, like on YouTube because everyone fucking hates it and stuff. Uh, But yeah, that is uh, what this movie was. So it was financially successful and it showed that like teen films um, could do something cool at the box office. Uh, Then we're looking at about a 41% on Rotten Tomatoes from 63 reviews from critics, and then a 55% audience score with about a quarter of a million ratings. Um, And then we're looking at a 2.8 out of 5 on Letterboxd. So it's kind of split a little bit, you know, and and that doesn't surprise me, I guess. Um, This movie, if anything, does feel a little, you know, tropey when it comes to it. Uh, But I think Overall, though, like, it's not, I don't know, it can feel like that, I guess, but I also think, like, it's a perfectly smart movie, I think, and it's not anything too, you know, horrible or anything, um... Like I said, it's not a, it's a boy-girl thing or anything like that, you know, there's, there's some stuff where I'm like, you know, there are some worse movies out there, I think, for sure. Um, so some of the crew of this movie. So we have the director of Robert Iscove. Um, he's the guy who did, um, Cinderella from 1997 with Brandy and Whitney Houston. He directed that. And also he did from Justin to Kelly, uh, which is apparently an abject horror in itself. Uh, and then also boys and girls. He did that movie as well. So he's directed those things. Um, the writer of this movie is um, R. Lee Fleming Jr. So he is uh, the guy who also, he wrote this movie, but he also wrote He's All That, which is the Netflix uh, original, like, little remake of this film. But he is also the uh, original writer. He, he ended up getting, like, a credit of it, I think. But he was the one who wrote um, Get Over It from 2001, which is... Uh, like an adaptation of Midsummer Night's Dream from Shakespeare. Um, if you haven't watched Get Over It, go go watch Get Over It. It's so fun. It's Ben Foster, Kirsten Dunst. Uh, it's really fun. I like it. Um, and the composer of this movie is Stuart Copeland, um, who he was actually, uh, he was the composer on Good Burger from 1997 and also Pecker, which is uh, one of John Waters' movies with Christina Ricci and Edward Furlong, I believe. Haven't seen it, but... Um, you know, I love me a John Waters movie. And he also did uh, the one and only On the Line from <laughs> which has Lance Bass in it playing a straight guy who's like falling in love with Emmanuel Sharkey. And, um, you know, listen, that oh, God. You know, it's funny. I did an audio commentary on that once and I didn't actually release it like that. I had like a Patreon for a minute. Um, I mean, if anybody ever wants to 
have me do a Patreon or anything, that'd be fine, I guess. Uh, I do kind of want to do audio commentaries. They seem kind of fun. Um, and you could just, like, watch a movie, like, put the mute button on, and then, like, just talk about the movie and, like, talk shit or, like, talk about fun little things about it or whatever. But, yeah, I might, I might do those. Who knows? I do, I do want to kind of do those. But I did one for Online, and I watched it. It was so fucking bad, dude. Um, the movie was really bad. But, I, you know, whatever. It was fun to see Lance Bass in a little acting role and whatever. But he, yeah, Stuart Copeland's the one who did the music for this movie, and he did the movie for that, uh, music for that. Uh, cinematographer is Francis Kenny, so they are the cinematographer for different movies. Uh, Heathers, he did shoot Heathers, um, and also Scary Movie also shot that. So it's kind of interesting that he did Scary Movie and also then did this movie. Um, Harriet the Spy, which again, I think I've said this already, but we will be doing an episode on that later this year. Um, so it's cool that they shot Harriet the Spy as well. Uh, and also from Justin to Kelly. So I think it's because like Robert Iscove, like was already a part of that. So obviously he's bringing some of the people he knows. Um, and then you have the editor, uh, Casey O. Roars, um, and they did Christmas on the Square, and also from Justin to Kelly. Um, listen, I don't want to watch from Justin to Kelly. I don't even know if that movie is that good. It doesn't seem like it is. Uh, but who knows? Maybe I have to at this point. I do like a Kelly Clarkson, except she hated that fucking movie, apparently. And she did not want to be in it, but she kind of was contractually obligated to do it. But anyway... Uh, and then for the actors of this movie, you have uh, Freddie Prince Jr., of course, who is the son of the comedian Freddie Prince uh, from back in the day. Uh, but he is, of course, from I Know What You Did Last Summer He and the sequel as well. He's also in the movie Sparkler, uh, which is Darren Stein's directorial debut. Um, he's in that movie with Jamie Kennedy and... Um, yeah, park overall and all that, so that's cool. Um, he's also in Scooby-Doo, and he's also in The House of Yes with Parker Posey, um, where he is... Um, I think he's the brother of Parker Posey, and then he brings his girlfriend, Tori Spelling, to um, Thanksgiving dinner. So, yeah. Uh, if you haven't seen The House of Yes, I would take I would check it out. It seems like a fun movie. Um, I wasn't the hugest on it. Like, I didn't fall in love with it, but it was a fun movie, and I love a Parker Posey movie, of course. Um, and then we have our queen, Rachel Lee Cook. Uh, so she is, um, child model actor turned, you know, adult actor. Um, so she is from like the, this is your brain on drugs PSA from back in the day, but she was also in like the babysitters club movie. She was in, um, Oh, she was also in the house of yes. Funny enough. She plays young Jackie O, uh, which is kind of fun. She's also in all I want to do with Gabby Hoffman and Kirsten Dunst. Um, Josie and the pussycats. Of course she's Josie. She's also in he's all that. Like I said, um, and then, uh, yeah, Carpool, she's in that movie with, I think, if I'm not mistaken, wait, isn't, oh, yeah, no, 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 wait, yeah, Kevin Pollack is also in that movie, Carpool, yeah, 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 mm-hmm, I was right, yep, I know these things, I, I mean, I guess I should know these things, I am doing a literal episode on it, but, oh, yeah, no, he's not, I keep getting him, let me tell you something, I keep getting him and, like, I keep getting house arrest and carpool like just switched 
for some reason. So, no, Kevin Pollock is not in Carpool. He's in House Arrest, and she is not in that movie. Although, she very well could have been. Um, no, that's Tom Arnold and David Paymer. Sorry about that. Anyway, but Kevin Pollock is in this movie, too. Um, <laughs> Um, he's like from, like I said, house arrest. Oh my God. Uh, the usual suspects, that thing you do. He plays the dad, uh, Papa Boggs, if you will. Um, you know, Rachel Lee Cook's amazing though. Uh, you have Matthew Lillard. Um, he is Shaggy himself from Scooby-Doo. He is uh, from Scream, of course. Uh, he's in all the things. He was in Five Nights at Freddy's. He was in fucking He's All That. He's in, he was the voice of Sco- uh, Shaggy for the longest time. I mean, he's fucking amazing. And he's in SLC Punk. I must say, I love LCC Punk. I've loved that movie for a long time. Um, I'm going to cover it on the show. Anybody who wants to come on and um, cover that with me, I would be down for it. I love that movie so much. Um, anyway, yeah, if you haven't watched LCC Punk, please watch that. Uh, Paul Walker, so of course, rest in peace, Paul Walker. Um, he unfortunately passed away from a car accident. Uh, he's from the Fast and the Furious movies. Uh, this is kind of what his bread and butter was. Uh, but I love him a lot from Pleasantville where he is um, the love interest kind of of um, Reese Witherspoon's character and then also uh, he is in Tammy and the T-Rex we can't forget about Tammy and the T-Rex don't worry I want to do an episode on that too I love that movie that movie is so stupid and lovely Um, and you have Jodie Lynn O'Keefe who plays Taylor Vaughn in this movie she is from uh, she's in the uh She's in the sequel to Devil in the Flesh that starred Rose McGowan, like, for the first movie, and then she's the in the second movie, which is weird. Anyway, but she's also from Halloween H2O. Uh, she is in Whatever It Takes as well, which is a not very good teen movie with Marla Sokolov in it. And Shane West, and then also Jodie Lynn O'Keefe. Um, but, you know, she's cool. Um, I, I, she's fine. And then Kiernan Culkin's in this movie. He plays uh, Simon Boggs. Uh, and then he's from Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. He is from Home Alone. Uh, I think like the Home Alone sequels as well. He was also in the Cider House Rules, apparently, as well. Um, so that's kind of fun. So, yeah, that's a little bit about our cast, I guess. This is a good look and see if there's anybody else. Oh, but then also you have, like, Anna Paquin, one of the, if not, uh, yeah, the youngest, uh, one of the youngest Oscar winners ever in life. Um, but she was also in, like, Trick or Treat, of course. She's in the X-Men movies. Um, she's Anna Paquin. She's amazing. But this is before all of, this is before she really blew up like that. Um, Eldon Henson plays Jesse Jackson. That's his literal name, which is Lainey's friend. Um, he is from Idle Hands. He's also been in, um, which I do have an Idle Hands episode coming out at some point as well. But he was in like the Butterfly Effect. He was in Killers in the F- of the Flower Moon. He was in the uh, Mockingjay movies for. Uh, okay, so he's had a little little career. Good for him. Um, Usher Usher is in this movie. He's the campus DJ. Um, Lil' Kim's in this movie as well, uh, as one of, um, Taylor's friends, and also Gabrielle Union, of course, is in this as well. Uh, Dulé Hill is also in here playing Preston. He's from, like, Holes, and he was also, like, in, um, 
he was also like in a couple of things uh, like a younger kid too he's a dancer really um, so yeah I would love Dulé Hill um, Clea Duvall's in this movie as well uh, that's a fun little thing too because then her and um, actually fun fun little thing so because Clea Duvall is one of the bitchy art girls and then the other girl um, as well the other bitchy art girl um that is Catherine Town. And if you don't already know, her and Catherine Town um, are then in the same year are in the movie, but I'm a cheerleader where they play um, people who get put to, you know, new directions. Uh, so yes, they are in this movie together and they're also in that movie together. Um, yeah, there's a, a couple other fun little ones. So like Alexis Arquette pre-transition was in this movie as well. Kind of like they were in, um, Bride of Chucky, uh, Debbie Morgan, who I love Debbie Morgan. She is also the art teacher in this movie. She's from East Bayou and like all sorts of things. Um, and also Tim Matheson from the, a very, very sequel and also the voice of Johnny Quest. He plays, um, the dad of, uh, Zach Seiler, Mr. Seiler, I guess. Uh, but yeah. And there's a couple other, like, yeah, nothing too crazy, I guess. Um, yeah, nobody else too too crazy, I don't think. Although they do have, like, a fun little uh, thing in here. If you didn't already know this, um, tying back to Harriet the Spy. Um, <laughs> the girl in the beginning when Zach comes into um, school or whatever, he... Um, so Ashley Levitch is uh, the girl who he mistakes like her name for another name or whatever. And then she has a friend with her who she's walking with. And it's like a white girl and a black girl. And the black girl is actually Vanessa Lee uh, Chester. And if you don't know who she is, you do know who she is because she was in the lost world um, for uh, Jurassic park. But she is also uh, the friend of Harriet the spy. She is uh, Janie, which I thought was very fun. Um, and so that's so cute that like, she's also in this movie too. But, uh, enough about enough about the cast i guess but that it's kind of a who's who of different people really um but yeah i just really i think that was like really cool now a little bit about this movie in particular so or i guess like if we're going to talk about she's all that we do have to talk a little bit about where this movie like originate right we got to talk a little bit about that and and so we got to talk a little bit about what is called pygmalion um as i stated a little bit earlier um this movie in particular is a adaptation of that similar to how clueless is an adaptation of emma and like how 10 things i hate about you is like taming of the shrew and stuff like that so we got to talk a little bit about pygmalion in this situation now pygmalion itself is also a um greek mythology figure um so like pretty much what happens with pygmalion is that like um generally what happens with them is that um pygmalion is a sculptor who fell in love with a statue that he had carved himself um and like so in book 10 of Ovid's Metamorphosis which is like this book pretty much it was like a Roman poet but it was like this thing Pygmalion was uh, um, Cyproc uh, Cyprioc I believe so from Cyprus a sculptor who carved a woman out of ivory um, and that uh, statue was named Galatea um, and so let me see anything fun but you know yeah the basic idea you need to know is that it's based off of Greek a little bit but when we're talking about the actual like true real um, 
Yeah, that's what it was. So, like, you know, falling in love with one of your sculptures, and then, you know, the sculpture comes to life. Um, the general idea of that myth uh, was a popular subject for uh, the Victorian-era British playwrights. Um, so, Pygmalion got turned into a play by George Bernard Shaw. And so, uh, uh, W.S. Gilbert, who was one of Shaw's influences, he liked this Pygmalion story. Um, he wrote a successful play based on the story called Pygmalion and Galatea, um, and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, and so, yeah, it, it just was like, yeah, it, it was this uh, pretty much Ber- George Bernard Shaw, he came across this material and he decided to turn it into a different story um and not like i'm gonna be blowing anyone's mind too crazy but uh this movie and also like i said uh Pygmalion was a play, but also My Fair Lady is also an adaptation of Pygmalion as well um and so we're going to talk a little bit about that, but the plot summary, I'll give you the plot summary of Pygmalion as just a show. Um, I'm going to get this literally from Sparks notes. Um, you know, so, you know, not Cliff's notes, but you know, Spark notes is fine. Uh, so two old gentlemen meet in the rain one night at, um, Covent garden. Uh, professor Higgins is, as a scientist of phonetics and Colonel Pickering is a linguist in Indian dialects. Um, and the first uh, bets the other that he w- that he can, with his knowledge of phonetics, uh, convince High Society London that in a matter of months he will be able to transform the Cockney-speaking Covent Garden uh, flower girl, Eliza Doolittle, um, into a woman as poised and well-spoken as a duchess. Uh, the next morning, the girl appears at his laboratory on Wimpole Street um, to ask for speech lessons, offering to pay a shilling so that she may speak properly enough to work in a flower shop. Uh, Higgins makes merciful uh, fun of her, but is seduced by the idea of working his magic on her. Pickering goads him on by agreeing to cover the cost of the experiment if Higgins can pass Eliza off as a duchess at an emperor, at a ambassador's garden party. Uh, the challenge is taken, and Higgins starts by having his housekeeper bathe Eliza and give her new clothes. Then Eliza's father, Alfred Doolittle, uh, comes to demand the return of his daughter, though his real intention is to hit Higgins up for some money. Um, the professor, abused by Doolittle's unusual rhetoric, gives him five pounds. On his way out, the dustman uh, fails to recognize that the now clean, pretty uh, flower girl as his daughter. For a number of months, Higgins trains Eliza to speak properly. Two trials for Eliza follow, and the first occurs at Higgins' mother's house, where Eliza is introduced to the Ensford Hills, um, a trio of mother, son, and daughter. Uh, the son, Freddie, is very attracted to her and further taken uh, with what he thinks is her affected small talk when she slips into Cockney. Uh, Mrs. Higgins worries the experiment and uh, will lead to problems once it has ended, but Higgins and Pickering are too absorbed in their game to take heed. A second trial, which takes place uh, some months later at an ambassador's party, uh, which is actually not staged, is a resounding success. The wager is definitely won, but Higgins and Pickering are now bored with the project, uh, which causes Eliza to be hurt. She... uh, throws Higgins's slippers at him in a rage because she does not know what is to become of her, thereby bewildering him. See, she... 
he suggests that um, she marries somebody as she returns him the hired jewelry and he accuses her of ingratitude. Uh, the following morning, Higgins rushes to his mother in a panic because Eliza has run away and on his tail is Eliza's father, now unhappily rich from the trust of a deceased millionaire who took to heart Higgins's recommendation that Doolittle was... Um, England's, quote, most original moralist. Uh, Mrs. Higgins, who had been hiding Eliza upstairs all all along, chides the two of them for playing with the girl's affections, and when she enters, Eliza thanks Pickering for always treating her like a lady, but threatens Higgins that she will go work for his rival um, phonistician, I guess, uh, Nipomuk. Uh, The outraged Higgins cannot help but start to admire her, and as Eliza leaves for her father's wedding, Higgins shouts out a few errands for her to run, assuming that she will also return to him at Wimpole Street. Eliza, who has a lovelorn um, sweetheart in Freddie, and the wherewithal to pass as a duchess, never makes it clear whether she will or not. So, yeah, if you didn't already know, um, that is what this movie is about. Um, So it's just a bit of a different story, obviously. And then, of course, there was a musical that came uh, from My Fair Lady uh, that had Julie Andrews in it. And then also um, a movie that had Audrey Hepburn in it. So this film in particular... um, came about really when I guess it, and I got this information from yahoo.com. They did a Yahoo news article a couple uh, years ago, probably uh, well, literally 10 years ago. It was a uh, Marlo Stern who did this. Um, and so talking a little bit about this film, um, the, directors talks about how pretty much Harvey Weinstein gave him the film. Um, He was one of the many people that was involved with Chicago um, after he had done Cinderella and there were many problems and Chicago was being put on hold. Um, So he said in the meantime, so Harvey, he said in the meantime, I have this great project that I want you to direct. Um, And so like Freddie Prince Jr. talks about how like this was his first uh, role he'd ever been just like offered. He had done the House of Yes. It all comes back to the House of Yes uh, for Miramax. Um, And yeah. And unfortunately, like (laughs) because this is how Miramax was, because it was Harvey and Bob's company. uh, But, you know, I guess Freddie Prince Jr. did a good enough job in the House of Yes where they were like, hey, let's put this guy in here. Same thing happened with Rachel Lee Cook is that she had done the movie Strike or All I Want to Do with Gabby Hoffman and Kirsten Dunst. Um, And apparently that was one of the ways that she kind of got into the into the audition room and was able to to have that. Um, But they were looking for that for a while. Um, Like Josh Hartnett auditioned for the role of Stack as well. Um, And a lot of girls went through this. So like Lili Sobieski, Mina Savari, Jordana Brewster, a lot of these different people um, would, you know, come in. And uh, but I think Rachel Lee Cook really works for this. Like she just really works very well. and then, like, getting, like, random people, like, so Kiernan Culkin was coming from the Culkin family. Um, but apparently, like, Freddie Prince Jr. says, like, Sarah Michelle Gellar, who's his wife, obviously, uh, has known, like, Kiernan since she was, like, 
since he was like four or something. And so it's so super cool that like, you know, <laughs> that kind of happened. And then like, also she's in the movie. Like she has a little cameo because by this point, Buffy would have already been on. So she didn't say anything. Like she doesn't talk, but I just think that's super cool. And apparently also she was like best friends with like Jodie Lynn O'Keefe back in the day. And they were like, they worked in New York before. So that's kind of cool. Oh, also apparently Josh Hartnett went to high school with um, Rachel Lee Cook in Minnesota. Thought that was kind of interesting when they talked about that. Um, but yeah, that's like so super. And then like also, of course, having like Matthew Lillard. I mean, Scream was produced by Dimension Films, which is also a Weinstein thing. So it doesn't surprise me that he ended up being in this movie as well. Um, but yeah, it's a little bit about about that. Um I don't have like too much like crazy information. A lot of this in the um, Yahoo article, it talks a little bit about just like how they were cast. Like what was their own high school uh, like their own high school uh, experiences and stuff. Um, But yeah, so that's a little bit about that. But yeah, so like uh, for this though, um, so the writing of this movie is also really interesting as well. Um, so like I said, the, the cast is kind of all over the place, but like, you know, they were able to, to assemble these folks. So like I was saying, Arlie Fleming jr. Is officially credited as the sole screenwriter of this movie. Um, but also, uh, in an interview in 2002, M night Shyamalan, who, uh, actually stated that he polished the screenplay while he was also adapting Stuart little and writing a spec script for what would then become the sixth sense. Um, and this was also confirmed on the film's audio commentary with Iskov. Um, so he did talk about that. And what then also he talks about is uh, in 2013, Shyamalan claims that rather than simply polishing this as script, he actually ghost wrote the film. Um, this is disputed by Fleming, though. And Jack Lechner, um, who was the head of development in the 1990s, he confirmed that technically both Shyamalan and Fleming did contribute to this script. Fleming wrote the initial script that Miramax bought, so he got the money um, you know, for the initial script of his course, while Shyamalan did an uncredited rewrite, uh, doing more than a polish, that got the film greenlit. So really, it was like the story was brought to Miramax by Fleming, but then Shyamalan did end up writing this where it did get greenlit. Um, Lechner reiterated that content from both writers uh, was included in the final cut of the film. And producer uh, Richard and Glad uh, Gladstein said that the script was, quote, pretty much done already, but that Shyamalan's changes, quote, helped enormously with the relationship with Kevin Pollack, who is uh, Wayne in this movie, the, the dad. Uh, Iskov attributed uh, the performance art piece and the hacky sex sequence to Shyamalan. Uh, Fleming uh, attributed the line am I a fucking bet to Shyamalan as well um, Fleming introduced uh, various pop culture uh, references in his script so like Lainey Boggs is uh, named after uh, Kim Boggs from Edward Scissorhands and Lainey Pierce from Reality Bites which were two Winona writer characters um and like the characters Zach and Taylor they're uh, named after the two two of the uh, two of the members of the group Hanson, which is super fun. Um, 
And yeah. Oh, and then also, so like um, Kevin Pollack in this movie, he, as you could see, like when he's watching Jeopardy, when his kids are at home with him, um, <laughs> uh, he also did that same thing in a different movie he was in, which is called Truth or Consequences, New Mexico. Um, the idea was in Fleming's script, but then Pollock expanded on it and he improvised his answers during this, which I thought was very funny. Um, and so Isgrove is also, uh, he talks about how he was influenced um, by the movies of John Hughes and was trying to do something different for the 90s generation that would still resonate. And he stressed the importance of having a story, uh, having a heart, and how Zach had to be worthy of Lainey and how Lainey had to learn how to be more open. Uh, the story was rewritten to better fit uh, Prince Jr. Um, and to make Zach just a more sympathetic character with his own challenges. And Isgrove was well aware that it was implausible to suggest that the queen Rachel Lee Cook uh, was ugly but it was uh, but said it was uh, standard practice for Hollywood to cast quote the beautiful girl um, and that it would require the audience to suspend their disbelief Um, he says quote you either go along with it or you don't go along with it Uh, comparing Lainey's transformation to that of like Clark Kent into Superman Iskrove said that casting the role was more about finding the actor who had the range to give the necessary performance. And I kind of agree with that. I mean, the whole thing is that, you know, the whole joke, I guess, is that, you know, oh, these glasses and uh, paint covered overalls or whatever, but it's not completely about that. I mean, you know, it's a Hollywood movie. They're going to cast a pretty young actress, you know, I mean, because, a lot of the times, like, because acting is a business that is about the way you look a lot of the time, like, you have to obviously look aesthetically pleasing, but you get the idea that, uh, and we'll talk about this a little bit, but you get the idea that Lainey is different from other people. Um, it's not a thing of, like, not, like, other girls type shit, and she doesn't seem like a... In my view, she doesn't seem like a manic pixie or anything like that, like dream girl person, obviously. But like, you know, there is something that makes her different. Um, And I think this works out a lot more where I can be like, oh, yeah, no, she's different from her peers because of this. And that's what makes her somebody to then you know, turn into something a little different and to just kind of tweak a little bit, you know, and that's what I think it is. Um, I absolutely kind of understand how she is the Eliza Doolittle in this care, in this thing. I almost keep wanting to say Eliza Dushku, by the way, but like, I haven't yet. I don't think hopefully, but, um, no, but she is the Eliza Doolittle of this story. And that, that kind of checks out for me, honestly. But yeah, so it's filming of this movie took place, uh, in like a uh, little over a uh, little over a month, uh, August 6th, 1998 to September 28th, 1998. So little over a month. Um, this is all shot at Torrance High School, which is the Buffy the Vampire Slayer High School and also the 90210 High School. I think it was also the high school from Not Another Teen Movie. Um, East Grove was also, a, uh, he was a choreographer, which I guess makes sense if he then went on to do From Justin to Kelly. Uh, he wanted to expand and embellish the prom scenes while also showing the Weinsteins how musical numbers could work in films. Um, so the dance scene was uh, choreographed by Adam Shankman at the request of the film's co-producer, uh, Jennifer uh, Gibb-Gott, um, who is Shankman's sister. And so Shankman was assisted by Anne Fletcher, who I think was another choreographer. And 
and he was concerned with the scene not tonally meshing with the rest of the film, but Isgrove persisted, though, and test audiences didn't understand why the dance scene was happening, um, so... Bob Weinstein actually asked for a reshoot uh, with Usher to actually link the scene. So I don't think Usher was actually there on set. I don't think he was on set for any of his time, to be honest with you, but whatever. Um, Shankman also worked with Matthew Lillard when he was dancing at the party, which I thought was really nice as well. Um, Oh, and talking a little bit about the costumes. So the costume designer, uh, Denise Wingate, said, quote, we have no budget, um, so we had to get really creative. Everything in that prom scene is like white, black, or uh, gold, and they got it all from the Salvation Army, and they just worked it. Um, so Wingate herself had majored in psychology. She tried to explore the possible reasons for the character's wardrobe. So, for example, like she concluded that like Lainey wore clothes that like armor after the death of her mother, but also wanted to express herself as an artist, which had a mix of like it resulted in a mix of like different um, like vintage clothes, overalls, aprons, and like quirky t-shirts and stuff. Um, because I think her mom was an artist. She was a photographer, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and all of that. <laughs> the falafel restaurant hat, for example, was created on short notice with items that were just picked up from a Michaels. Uh, Lainey's transformation was reflected in the red dress, which demonstrated a, quote, bold statement of her dressing in a color that was so different than anything we had seen in her. Um, in uh, in her before. And so Rachel Lee Cook uh, talked about feeling really self-conscious in the scene when she first descends the stairs in the dress. And there were actually two versions of the dress. One that was like a stunt double dress that was reserved for when Lainey falls on the driveway uh, after the party. And then a second smaller dress, which left Cook holding her breath, trying to get through the scene quickly. Um, so that all happened. And yeah, I mean, it seems like, if anything, uh, the consensus of this movie uh, from Rotten Tomatoes, for example, is says, despite its charming young leads, She's All That cannot overcome its predictable, inconsistently funny script, which I think is a little bit of bullshit, personally. I don't think it's like super unfunny or anything it's really not it's perfectly fine um this is actually the last movie to be reviewed by gene siskel before he died um because he really did not like jawbreaker (laughs) but like he did review this movie before he passed away um siskel actually gave it a positive review and said that rachel lee cook as laney the plain jane object of the makeover is forced to demonstrate the biggest emotional range as a character and she's equal to the assignment uh ebert suggested quote to give the movie credit it's as bored with the underlying plot as we are even the prom queen election is only a backdrop for more interesting material as she's all that explores differences in class and style and peppers its screenplay with very funny little moments ebert says it quote is not a great movie but it has its moments giving it a two and a half out of four and then you have Stephen Holden from the New York Times praising um, Cook for her performance, comparing her to Winona Ryder, saying, quote, unlike so many actors playing young, smart people, um, she actually projects some intelligence along with a sly sense of comedy. And you got a couple different people um, who say a few different things. Let me see if there's anything else. William Thomas of Empire criticized the film, saying that despite a few scenes, the rest is just breezy propaganda for American high school fascism. And, quote, the most worrying thing about She's All That is its message. The, quote, ugly duckling, specs, dungarees, uh, 
art lover must conform. She's uh, gets a makeover, and the boys notice her bobos for the first time to fit in. Um, I guess this guy might be from. Um, I don't know another. I don't know where he's from, but I, I like some. I like some of his. Uh, I like some of his use of words there. Uh, Jeff Berkshire of Variety he criticized uh, the lack of originality and wrote quote suggesting that Miramax needs to pull in Kevin Williamson on permanent retainer if it's going to remain in the team picks flate healed she's all that notably fails to bring to comedy the insight that the Williamson penned scream brought so memorably to horror Berkshire was positive about the two leads though saying quote appealing young actors come off as competent nothing more given a context that cannot be transcended he described the direction as nothing to be ashamed of here, but nothing of any distinction either, and noted the soundtrack as a not unexpected plus. Jane Goodall of the San Francisco Examiner wrote, and um, quote, and once, just once, I'd like to see a teen flick that doesn't send out a message to young girls that to be acceptable, you have to conform. I like the artist girl much better before. Mick LaSalle from the San Francisco Chronicle uh, calls it, quote, about one idea short of being an excellent teen romance. As it stands, it's a pleasing but effort, uh, but routine effort. And LaSalle also criticized the film for running out of plot about halfway, saying that the, quote, storyline is stretched out to the breaking point. And in one instance, director Robert Iscove stops the action for a long dance sequence set at the prom that has nothing to do with anything. He comments that he commented that the film is, quote, intermittently funny and praise Matthew Lillard's performance calling it the best thing of the picture so that's a little bit about all the critical response of this movie as well but yeah I mean uh the basic idea of this movie uh, I guess I'll go over a brief plot summary if you will um so pretty much this movie uh, I'll read it right from wiki I guess pretty much Zach played by um Freddie Prince Jr. Uh, he comes back to uh, school after spring break. He finds out his girlfriend, Taylor Vaughn, played by Jodie Lynn O'Keefe, um, has cheated on him with a reality TV star, Brock um, Hudson, I believe, um, played by Matthew Lillard. Um, after Zach and Taylor's breakup, he consoles himself by claiming that he is uh, any girl, that she's replaceable with any girl in the school. Um, and so Dean, played by Paul Walker, his friend, disagrees and bets Zach to turn any random girl from the school into the prom queen in six weeks he accepts so dean chooses laney boggs a awkward and unpopular art student so zach attempts to befriend laney but he is promptly ignored um by her uh until he asks for her help with art she reluctantly invites him to a small theater lounge where she will be performing in de- uh, intending to deter him um so laney volunteers uh at that at that art show thing or at the little performance art piece. Um, she volunteers Zach to perform on stage. He improvises a routine about with a hacky sack. Um, and Lainey is impressed, but still rejects him when um, Zach attempts to try to charm her again. So when Zach shows up at her house, she reluctantly agrees to go to the beach with him and his friends, and they invite her to a party later. Uh, Lainey says she's busy, but Zach persuades her to go, and he enlists his sister, Mac, played by Anna Paquin, um, to give her a bit of a makeover. And that's when we have our scene with the, um, you know, red dress and kiss me, and we'll, we'll get to it. Um, at the party, Taylor, who is embarrassed by Brock and jealous of Lainey, starts publicly humiliating her and brings her to tears. And Lainey is surprised to be 
nominated for prom queen along with Taylor. And Zach then goes by her house and asks about her mother, who died when Lainey was young, and talks about his father, who is pressuring him, um, his father played by Tim Matheson, who is pressuring him to go to Dartmouth for college. Zach leans in to kiss Lainey, but pulls back when she jokes that it would um it is just to get her vote uh for prom king pretty much the next day zach defends laney's brother simon from some bullies one of which is played by chris owen from american pie boy meets world all that kind of stuff um and uh with a scene with pubes on a um a pizza where we also see uh, sarah michelle geller um after a falling out with Zach, though, Dean asks Lainey to be his prom date, and Taylor is humiliated when Brock dumps her, so she cozies up to Zach. And when he turns her down, she tells him that Dean has already asked Lainey to the prom. And when uh, Zach confronts him, uh, Dean then reveals the bet that they've made, forcing a public confession from Zach. And we have the scene where, am I a bet? Am I a fucking bet? Uh, furious Lainey then rushes from the room, and she refuses to speak to Zach. Unable to reconcile with Lainey, though, uh, Zach takes his sister to the prom, so he takes Mac, because Mac goes to a, uh, a girl's school, uh, like an all-girls school. Uh, after some persuading from her uh, father, a disheartened Lainey agrees to go with Dean, and at the dance, Dean boasts of his plans to seduce Lainey. Lainey's friend, Jesse, played by Eldon Henson, um, overhears this, and he and Mac uh, rush to uh, warn Zach, um, who has taken the stage with Taylor as prom king and queen. And then Zach rushes after Lainey, who has already left with Dean. So we're like, oh no, what's going to happen? So then Lainey returns home to find Zach is there, and she explains how she avoided Dean's advances with a foghorn, uh, which I thought was funny. And then Zach confesses his true feelings for her and they share a dance and a kiss by the pool. Um, and Lainey asks Zach about the bet and he says mysteriously that he will honor the terms of the bet. Um, and on the day of graduation at the end of the movie, we, he appears on stage nude except for a cap and gown or no, sorry, a cap and a um, soccer ball um, getting applause from the crowd and a smile from Lainey. So that is uh, the plot of she is all that. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think like some kind of uh, some standout, like, scenes of this movie i mean i do love the little performance art piece that they do this is where alexis arquette comes in handy um because she is playing a um (laughs) she's playing somebody who is like this performance artist and is part of this piece which i thought was really fun um so there's that and then um also like you know even just like you know i also like the little makeover scene that they have with Lainey. Um, I like that with uh, Max's character, Anna Paquin, I like that it's not necessarily that they're trying to super change her because, again, that's kind of the joke of the movie I was talking about earlier is that, like, oh, we're supposed to believe that Rachel Lee Cook is such an uggo, right? But it's not really that. It's just that... And it's not really that. It's more so that it's about that she is somebody who you know, she is a pretty girl. It's just that she doesn't pay much attention to her appearance because that's not like a a forefront of her mind. Really? It's not in the forefront. And, and it's also something where she is kind of doing this to not really fit in with other people. She doesn't want to be like the popular 
people. You know, she just kind of wants to be her own self, you know, and she just kind of wants to do her own thing. Um, and this movie is also set in California. It's set in pretty much LA. So, you know, cause we also talk a little bit about class where like, even though like we're supposed to assume, I guess that Lainey's family is like, maybe not lower class, but like is not as rich as everyone else, but like their house is still pretty big, like all that kind of shit. But I mean, but we're to assume that like, you know, maybe they're not as well off as other folks kind of a thing, which is why she has her little part-time job at the falafel um, place and all that. But I, I do like the makeover scene back to it because it's not that they're trying to like super change her or anything. Um, and Mac even says that, you know, slightly you know it's improved not new you know laney boggs you know and and i i like that kind of um distinction to make to you know say you know it's not the new and improved it's you know (laughs) it's slightly improved you know because you already have somebody you know who they have a perfectly good canvas. It's just that you're fixing this up a little bit and you're just, you know, yeah, you're gussing her up, you know? I mean, why not? Like everyone deserves to have a little nice little makeover or nice little, you know, um, to feel good about themselves. Um, because I think the thing with Lainey's character, and we'll get into that with a character breakdown of any sort, but like, you know, she is somebody who is, yeah, she's just different from her classmates, probably because she's just dealing with being this kind of, you know, being the oldest kid in this family and also having to kind of take on not really the mom role, but like also just having to like, you know, just being the oldest in this family and, and you know, trying to make sure like her brother is like doing all right and her dad's doing okay. And, you know, she kind of puts herself last. I feel like if, if that makes any sense, um, I really do think it is. And, and that's why I think it's a really interesting distinction and it's different than what they did in my fair lady. You know, the difference between Eliza Doolittle, you know, is that Eliza Doolittle really is just like, kind of like she's impoverished and she's like, you know, um, Obviously, she's kind of like this Cockney accent and stuff and whatever. But like, you know, that was makes her different. But when you clean her up a little bit, you uh, give her these elocution lessons, she can become something a little different. Um, Lainey already knows and she's already aware of like what it's like in high school and how she is. It's just, you know. She doesn't want to be like other people. She doesn't want to be like these other rich assholes. You know, she doesn't want to be like Clea Duvall. You know what I mean? Uh, so, yeah, I, I I, actually, I personally like Lainey as a character. If I had to, if I'm being honest, like, I, I think she's perfectly fine. Um, you know, yeah, you know, Janie Briggs or whatever from another teen movie. But that's a completely, like, separate thing to me. Um and I, I don't think obviously it's a parody and it's a it's a spoof or whatever, but I think Lainey does I think Lainey is a perfectly fine character. Um and she's just if anything trying to work through some shit the best way she knows how in a way. Um and I I really like I like her character. I thought she was really I thought she was cool. Um and she's racially cook. Like how can I not love? Uh yeah. I think I'm trying to think of any other like fun little scenes or anything. Um, 
I would say probably also I do like the little end of it too. So I like the like the Rockefeller stank uh, skank is stank skank is fun. Um, some people may not understand what the hell this fucking music is like. This dance number is supposed to be, but I fucking love it. I thought it was fun. Um, but I also just like the little end where like Zach comes to Lainey's house. They get to have their little talk. This is the same scene that, you know, is on in the beginning of not another teen movie, but like, you know, it's one of these things where I think it just is, it shows that like in some way they do care about each other, you know, and they've been able to get to know each other. And I think if anything, like, Zach has been able to help out Lainey in some way. And I think also Lainey has been able to help Zach in some way as well. Um, and I, I just really like that. You know, I think that's awesome. I think with Zach's character, um, what I do like, uh, what I think is interesting about his character, again, it's a little, it can be very, it can come off as a little bit one note maybe, but like, I also think like there is a little bit of depth there because it's not necessarily that like with Zach's character, it's not necessarily that he is, he's not like a dumb jock or anything like that. He's a soccer player. So he's not like your quarterback of the football team, right? He's like the captain of the soccer team. He's like student body president. He's actually a really smart dude. And so he's not like a dumb jock or anything like that. But like the thing with him is that I think that it's nice that he does have something where it's not like, you know, I don't want your life dad or whatever, but I think it's just more so that he, maybe that's what he thinks that like his parents or or his father, especially is like kind of pushing him to go to Dartmouth. Right. But I think it's even more so that maybe I think it has more to do with the fact that like, he just wants, I think his dad just wants him to make the decision of where he wants to do what he wants to do. Um, Cause maybe that hasn't been something that, you know, Zach's been thinking on or, maybe he's been caught up too much with like, uh, you know, Oh, my dad wants me to do this or he wants me to follow in his footsteps. And it's like, well, maybe he doesn't want you to just follow in his footsteps. Maybe you think he does, but I think it has more to do with just, he wants you to make sure that you know what you want to do and that you have some sort of a plan with like, what are you doing afterward? Um, kind of a thing. So, you know, but I, I do like Zach for the most part. He is a dirty, dirty liar um, to Lainey and that's not right. But I will say that, like, I think he does, you know, mend it at the end in a way. And, and if anything, I do like that he does that. And um, it's, it's cool to see this guy be different than what we normally think of as like the jock um or like the the quote big man on campus to quote the brady bunch movie um but like you know uh i i like laney i think a little bit more than i like zach but zach is a perfectly fine character and if anything i'm glad that they didn't make him super duper one note or anything 
Um, which I think that has more to do with like Brock. So like Brock's like a very like one dimensional character kind of cause he has to be, do you know what I mean? Um, so there's that. Um, and then with Taylor Vaughn, I mean with her, she is just really somebody who, if anything, she is kind of that classic mean girl, right? Because she is like privileged. She's rich. She has, you know, these different people around her. Um, she's the most popular girl. She is that, she is that bitch, right? Um, but you also see that she has some like insecurities of her own and she like, you know, she does have some insecurities of her own and, and it is something where if anything, like she has to lash out at people to make herself feel better in a way. Um, but she is a bad bitch though. I love her. I, I, I love just how like you know, fierce she can be, I feel like. Uh, but, you know, she is that mean girl. Um, and it's not like she has a super duper crazy arc or anything. At the end of the day, she becomes prom queen and that's great for her, you know? Um, and, and a lot of it does come down to like, she is thinking this one thing where maybe she did have a cool thing with Zach and she decided to just kind of like break it all off, you know, but then she realizes that Brock's an idiot. (laughs) He's kind of an ass. So like, you know, it's one of these things where she just has to then kind of come back, you know, tail between her legs being like, Hey Zach, you still want to go to prom? (laughs) And they do technically end up being prom king and queen together. So but I think those are kind of like the the main folks to really have a breakdown about um, or to be able to try to break down as well. Um, I also think if anything, so like, like I was talking about with some of the scenes that I thought were kind of stand out or any of that kind of stuff. Um, I... Oh, I guess also Jesse was somebody too. Again, Jesse doesn't have much in terms of like development a ton. Um, it's that he's like the the fat friend. <laughs> he's like the the boy, the friend of you know Lainey. Um, he's fat apparently, so like he can't eat. <laughs> he can't be shown eating apparently. Um, okay, but like you know, uh, if anything, like I do like that he he has a little thing with Mac kind of, which I thought was fun. Um, and that maybe they would kind of go down to like, you know, have a little relationship or whatever. Uh, but also like, uh, with that though, I like that he at least is trying to be a good friend to Lainey and be like, Hey, look, like I overheard this and I want to make sure that my friend isn't going to be hurt. You know, she's not going to do anything. You know, I want to make sure you, (laughs) this situation is not great, you know, but like, I want to make sure that she, you know, is going to be okay, which I can, I can appreciate, you know, and, and I think that's fine. Um, I think with anything, you know, in terms of themes of this movie, uh, again, it kind of all goes back to the Pygmalion story where, you know, like turning somebody into something else in a way. Although, I mean, I think in this movie, it's really more so that you're bringing Lainey out of the shell that she's kind of put herself into and she's kind of put around herself to kind of protect herself more so, um, so yeah, definitely that kind of metamorphosis is definitely in there as well. Um, 
it's not super deep or anything, but like, you know, I think also like there is a thing of like a little bit of class stuff in here because you can kind of tell that like a lot of these kids are you know loaded as hell. But then like I was saying earlier with the Boggs family, uh, they're a little bit, you know, they're still, I think fairly fine, but they're not just as rich as maybe the rest of the people are, which also makes it a little different. Um, and you could see that as kind of like not in a, not in the same way as like uh, Pretty in Pink does it right, where like Molly Ringwald's from the literal wrong side of the tracks, and Andrew McCarthy, you know, is like rich and whatever. But you could see, I could see a little bit of that too, where I'm kind of like, oh, okay, I see what they're doing, you know. Like you could definitely see like Robert East Cove was obviously, as I was saying earlier, he was inspired by these movies from John Hughes. And I think, if anything, Pretty in Pink and some kind of Wonderful, which are just gender-swapped versions of each other, well, really, some kind of Wonderful is a gender-swapped version of Pretty in Pink. Uh, I actually like some kind of Wonderful better. But, like, uh, but I see that there is that DNA is also within She's All That, I think, a little bit, too, uh, which I thought was thought was fine, you know, fine and cool. But, yeah, I mean, I think... If anything, with the legacy of this movie or a cult status that it kind of has, I think what this movie has going for it or kind of bolsters its legacy or its, you know, any sort of cult status that it has. I mean, teen movies as a whole kind of have like a, a bit of a, kind of legacy or cult to them sometimes, depending on the movie. Um, I've covered different, you know, cult, you know, teen movies, if you will. Uh, but I, I do think that this one, you know, the fact that it was based off of a kind of obscure play that people don't always know about, but like, you know, um, I think having that a little bit too, but also like, I think just having some of the like fashions in this like are kind of like fun and quirky, you know, there's that. And then also like, of course, having like Sixpence None the Richer, uh, Kiss Me, like this is synonymous with that movie, um, you know, so I, I think with that song being synonymous with this, like you're going to have that. And it's also ripe for parody like it was in Not Another Teen Movie, Um and also kind of the trope of like, you know, oh, the girl who has glasses, you take her glasses off and now she's a hottie, you know, that kind of a thing. Um, but I think if anything, the kind of overarching legacy that this movie has is that it really is more so about just, you know, not not betting on people is bad, uh, but also like, you know, not seeing seeing something at face value, but also not just, you know, judging someone for, you know, not judging a book by its cover in a way, you know what I mean? You see Lainey Boggs and you see one type of person, but really she's a different type of person under that. And I think if anything, she's just somebody who, um, again, I think Rachel Lee Cook, Cook did a great job at portraying her, but she's just somebody who I think has had to put herself into a shell um, because of the stuff she's dealt with and um, because she's, you know, the oldest in her family and she's kind of helping to make sure that everyone in her family is all right. You know, that's some heavy shit a little bit, you know, not that it gets too heavy, still PG 13 movie, waka waka waka, but you know, I do think that's there. Um, And then also just like, 
uh, for all intents and purposes, I think this movie does end up being like a perfectly decent teen film for what it's trying to do. Um, and I think maybe that's why people come back to it, you know, a bunch. Uh, I can understand this being cozy for people and for being something where, you know, it's, it's a fun little movie that isn't too, isn't too, it, it, most of it ages fine. uh, Most of the time, maybe not all of it does, but most of it, you're like, Oh, okay. Like, no, this is this little thing with like Zach and Lainey is cute. Um, and, you know, I just think it can definitely be a comfort for some people, um, which is why 25 years later, it's still something that is known by folks. And you still have people who, you know, love the, you know, Rockefeller skank song and like who really enjoy um, Kiss Me and, you know, um, who, uh, who, if anything, you also have like, Rachel Cook having like a lead role in this movie. And then she kind of had her own cool career after this. And, you know, there are so many things that this movie has going for it. And, you know, it's not, it's not a terrible film by any means. So I think there's way worse movies out there you could watch. Um, and I'm glad to be able to, to cover this one and talk about it because I think it's a, a fun little thing to, to check out. Um, so that's kind of my little my little wrap up about she's all that. That's like like my final thoughts, if you will. But um, like I said, I think overall this is a fun film that you know I think deserves having a nice following for it. Um, it's cool that it you know is in that pantheon of nineteen ninety nine movies, um, and I I really think uh, it's worth a watch. Um, so at least for uh, the time being, it was on Netflix. I think it might still be on there. Um, you're hearing this the end of January. So who knows? It might be going off soon, but you might be able to catch it on there. Um, and it makes the rounds on like some um, streaming services. I think it might be on Paramount plus as well. Um, since it is a Miramax movie. So like, you know, they, they end up there sometimes. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a, uh, that's something as well. I don't ever really see it on Tubi or anything. Um, or even like on HBO, it does come on HBO every so often. So if you have HBO Max, like you can definitely check it out there. But I definitely recommend it. I think it's a fun little fun little movie. Um, and yeah, but I think that's everything I can think of for today's episode and for this week uh, and all of that. But as we normally do, uh, we're gonna plug some stuff at the end. Uh, so if you are not already doing so, please, please, please follow Cult Cinema Circle on its social media. Uh, you can follow on Instagram at Cult Cinema Circle. You can follow on Twitter slash X at Cult Cinema Circle, and go follow me on Letterboxd at Jesse J E S S E. K R E M P, all one word. Um, on there, I'll log the movies I review, and like uh, you might see what I'm covering for the show. Um, little reviews I put up there. I want to make little lists here and there. It's always super fun. Um, and yeah, just general foolishness over there. Super fun. Uh, yeah, and then also on your podcatcher of choice, rate, comment, subscribe, uh, give me five stars, give me a little one to two sentence review saying you like the show if you want. Um, email me at cultcinemacircle at gmail.com telling me if you like the show, hate the show, uh, what I should cover, whatever you want to do. I'm open to all of it. Um, 
And yeah, I think that's that's everything I can think right now. Um, and then also we're uh, coming up on February, coming up soon. Uh, so to start off the year, or not to start off the year, to start off the month, um, we're going to do a little something fun. Um, I'm going to be covering a little movie that is turning... Uh, I think it turned 10 years old next, uh, last year. Uh, so we're celebrating a little bit late, uh, but I am going to be covering a movie from 2013. Uh, it is called nurse 3d. And so this movie is about Abby Russell, a beautiful dedicated nurse with a sinister side has a secret life in which she targets and punishes dishonest men. So that's, uh, that's, uh, saying the least of it, but, uh, yeah, I, I think this is super fun. Um, this movie is iconic. It's on Roku right now. So please, if you have not already done so, if you, this is an erotic thriller, it's super fun. Uh, God, it's crazy and kind of horrible, but if anything, uh, I, I like it for what it is. It's super ridiculous and we'll talk all about it next week. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, with all that being said, I thank you so much for listening to the cult cinema circle podcast. Um, and you know, I feel just like Julia Roberts in pretty woman, you know, except for that whole hooker thing, <laughs> but take care everyone and, uh, take care. See you next week and, uh, have a great rest of your day, evening, week and all that and take care. Bye-bye. <laughs>